that for years. Now, I work till 5 o'clock. When I come in, I'm dog tired. And I've got a garden to take care of, and I've got some livestock to take care of, and I've got these things. I haven't got time to take care of these domestic issues that come up from time to time in my home or with my children. That's what I married her for. Is that the right attitude to have? That's not what God expects us to have. You see, she got up at 3 o'clock to fix the breakfast for me and the lunch for me whenever I left home at 4 to go to work. She was with the kids all day long. She was taking care of them. She was doing her daily chores. She was canning and doing the things that she had to do to help sustain our house. And whenever I come up in the evening, she worked as, as hard as I did. When I went to bed, she's still up working. But it's not my job because I've got a job outside the home, see? We need to get over that way of thinking. And we need to come back to try to understand that God expects us to be the head. He expects us to be the leaders in the home. And if we're not involved in our home, if we're not involved in our wife's life, if we're not involved in our children's life, then we're not going to be capable leaders. We need to do that. Oftentimes I hear people say, and I have them sit in my house in my living room from time to time, or my dining table where we do a lot of our study and counseling. And they'll sit there and say, well, you know, she runs things. I talked to her about her running things in the home. She said, well, yeah, I do. Somebody's got to. And you get to study and you get to check in and you find out the man's not doing his job, so the woman gradually does it. I'm here to tell you, I believe that in probably 90% of the cases... Women want their husbands to assume that responsibility of leadership and guidance within the home. I'm going to tell you something, that's a much tougher job. A lot of times I hear women say, I don't like this idea of being some, having to be submissive to my husband. To be in subjection to him and to his leadership. We're going to read about that and study about that today, probably more this afternoon. But I don't, don't know where I like that idea. I'm going to tell you something. It's much tougher. It's harder. It's more demanding on the husband. And God has placed that responsibility on him as a leader in the home. We can take advice from the passage we read in the book of uh, Joshua. You remember the Old Testament a little bit? Uh, Moses had led the children of Israel through, uh, through the uh, journey, through the, uh, through the wilderness, Causes some mistakes excuse me, Moses made. He's not allowed to go into the promised land. Joshua is going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Listen to the advice and admonition given to him in Joshua 1 and 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to... To the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now, in this admonition that God gave to Moses in his involvement and in his role in leading them into the promised land, his what's the first thing he said you need to do? You need to be strong and very courageous. I asked you last week, for a show of hands, how many have seen the movie uh, Courageous? Quite a few people have. How many's read the book? At least that I'd encourage all men to get the book that's, that's uh, described, uh, that's uh, based on that movie. Or maybe the movie's based on the book. I don't know. 
and study it because it's good for man. It's important to know and understand that as, as men in our homes, we need to take the leadership role. And how does that start? How does that start? Well, how did it start with Jesus? When you think about your... And by the way, when I say you, I'm talking about the church. Are you a part of the church? What is the church? The church is the body of Christ, isn't it? The church is the body of Christ. He is the Savior of the body. That's the last phrase we read in that verse in in Ephesians chapter 5, wasn't it? So you are the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. How did He become the head? How did He receive this authority? It was through a very simple principle that I talked about last Sunday afternoon called love. That very simple principle. He loved the world so much that he, God so loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. When we believe in him and we accept and are obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we become a part of the body of Jesus Christ. You know what else that means? That means that we're sanctified and made holy because of what Jesus Christ did. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and let's read this uh, in more detail. Read the rest of the chapter, or part of the chapter, not all of it right now, but we will get through the rest of it. This is basically going to be a study on Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. I read through verse 23, now verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself uh, a, a, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I think I skipped down too far there. But now, you understand, what I'm focusing on right now is husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it. Probably the best translation is gave himself up for the church. He loved it that much. What happened whenever Jesus died on the cross? And those people that accept that, then they become sanctified. They become holy. We are a holy people. How many passages or places can you think of that the Bible speaks of uh, us not being, a, for, for example, First uh, Peter chapter 2, it talks about verse, about verse 9 or 10, somewhere along in there. It talks about uh, we are a, a, a holy people, a peculiar people. What does that mean to be holy? It means that whatever is holy is set aside for a purpose. It's set aside. God is holy in the sense that He's set aside from us or set aside from the world. He's set aside from sin. He's set aside from anything that's impure. Back to, back to leadership. I want, us, I want us to think about being a leader and the kind of person that we need to be as a leader. Because that's very important. Do you know who... Uh, you know who suffers the greatest consequences? You know who suffers the greatest consequence of, say, a big business or a corporation that goes belly up? Doesn't you usually start with the CEO? The top dog, right? We, went, we pulled into, when I was in the Navy, we pulled into Hong Kong after a long, strenuous work that we were involved in in Yokosuka, Japan area, servicing ships. And we finally got some R&R, rest and recreation, what it's supposed to be. 
We pulled into Yokosuka, Japan. I hadn't been ashore since we had been in the Orient and had been there for several months. And uh, that was a, I'd made three tours over there, and this was the last one. And I was the first one that I was married, so I hadn't even went ashore. I just stayed on the boat. But we were tired. We pulled into Hong Kong, and I was going to go to town and wreck, rest and relax. And I had my, my whites on, my uniform on, and I'm standing on deck waiting for the Liberty boat to take us ashore. And all of a sudden, we heard over the ship, PA system, Liberty is canceled. And before we could, and we're standing there thinking, what? What's up with this? You know, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. We're ready to go ashore. Liberty's canceled. Well, we're very angry and very upset. But before we could ventilate our frustration, we heard another message. <laughs> Prepare to get underway. Well, the first thing we begin to do is look around because usually when you're in the harbor at Hong Kong, it's usually because of tropical storms, hurricanes, typhoons, something like that. Uh, typhoons in the Pacific, hurricanes in the uh, different place. But anyway, this is, that wasn't the problem. That wasn't the problem. So we, we go about doing our duty. We change back into our work clothes. A third of our crew is already ashore, and we go to sea. I know you're real interested in this story, but I love telling it. <coughs> and we get out in a place in the South China Sea, and there's a reef running there. You can find it on a map or a good one of these big globes called Pratis Reef. You can't see it. But trust me, it's there about that far below the water. It's 19 miles long. It's called an island, but it's under the water. It's just a reef. And there was a ship, and if you're a student of history, you might remember uh, Frank Knox. He was an admiral, and they named ships after admirals. And there was the USS Frank Knox. That was a destroyer that in the middle of the night was off course in the wrong place Steaming at 22 knots, which is pretty good clip through the water for a ship that size. And it hit that reef. First report that came was the forward lookout, the guy standing up on the bow said, Land ho, I see phosphorus. You know, if you've been out in the ocean, you see phosphorus when it breaks, water breaks, it's breaking over something. And he saw that. And about the time that message came to the bridge, the sonar said, shallow water ahead. They're going 22 knots. You know how long it takes to stop a boat like that? A boat like that at 22 knots? There was no stopping it. And it ran up on top of that reef. That's why we were called out there as a rescue. That's what we were. And that's why we were called. We spent 37 days working to get that thing off that reef. Us and several other ships. You know where the captain was? You know where the captain was? He was asleep in his cabin. You know whose fault this was? It was some Lieutenant J.G. that was the officer of the deck that had made a decision to do a particular thing. Do you know who lost his command? Do you know who swung? It was the captain. I'm not saying there were not punitive uh, actions taken on these other officers and other men aboard the ship, but it was the captain that hung first. He was the leader. He's the one that's responsible. Husbands, men, God looks at us and He holds us responsible for our homes and for our families. Somebody says, yeah, but you don't know what kind of wife I got. You don't know some of the demands that she makes. Well, that doesn't make any difference. It shouldn't make any difference. 
Well, I'm sorry. I mean, I can sympathize with you. Sometimes women go through some strange moods sometimes, and I can sympathize with that. But you know, that really doesn't make any difference in the scheme of things. It doesn't. You're not commanded to love your wife when everything is great. You know, God doesn't really expect you to marry her because you love her. He expects you to love her because you married her. You make a vow to God when you do that. And He holds you responsible to that vow. And being able to love them and, and, and be the kind of uh, husband that we need to be, it starts with our role as a leader. We need to accept that responsibility. Our homes will be much stronger, will be much better, and our wives, I think, will appreciate that a whole lot more if we will feel our responsibility. When they're not real loving, what does that mean to do? That means to love them that much more. There's something wrong. Maybe it's because of us. Maybe it's because of the children. Maybe it's because of something else. Maybe it's because of health problems. Whatever. But there's something wrong if they're not behaving maybe like they ought to behave. And what should our responsibility be? Find out what that is. And in loving way, help them. You know, when we first get married, it's kind of the way it is, isn't it? You remember... Opening the door for your wife. We had a 59. Margaret had a 59 Impala. She was accused by her brother one time of marrying her because she had a 59 Impala. Great day. I thought more of her than that. This was 1964 when we got married. That was a big old car to run around and get the door open. But I'd try to do that. Once in a while, after 48 years, I'll open the door for her. What happens to us after a while? We quit serving, you see. Oh, serving. I thought we were leaders. <laughs> Isn't that what we are, leaders? The head? The captain of the boat? Like the captain of the USS Frank Knox. You know what a leader is? Now, in man's eyes, in the, in the world, in this secular world we live in, they may look at leadership a little bit differently, but I think, I think the, the real successful businesses and corporations are beginning to understand that the greatest way to be a leader is to be what? A servant. Is to be a servant. And that's what God expects you and I to do, is to be a servant. What did he say about being a servant? You know, whenever his disciples wonder who's going to be the greatest or who is the greatest. Can this one sit on the right hand and this one sit on the left? You know, that type of thing. Remember that? What did, what did Jesus say? If you want to be great, serve. What did Jesus show? He served. What did he do with Peter whenever he was, uh, uh, or good? Peter, but the disciples just before his crucifixion, John chapter 13. He washed their feet. It's a symbol of his service to them. Besides the fact that he gave his life on the cross, and what greater service could he render than that? That's what we need to be. When we, our wives or our children have a problem or have a difficulty, rather than say, would you get your act together? You've been sniffling around here for a week. Go to the doctor. Go see the pharmacist. Get something for that cold or that sniffle. I'm tired of listening to you. Now, that's kind of what we do sometimes. 
Or didn't I tell you to put gas in the car? Didn't you know we were going on a... See? And sometimes that's the kind of behavior that we render. Okay? We have some older women in our congregation that can probably do this better than I could (laughs) as far as telling the way a husband should be. You know, the Bible says and teaches us that the older women are to teach the younger women. You know why it's hard for the older women to teach the younger women? Because the younger women won't let them. They won't go to them. They don't want anybody running their life. Let me tell you something. These that are older, and I'm not just talking about some of these that uh, uh, their husbands have passed on and and they're in their their, uh, senior years. Uh, boy, I'm in a, I mean, I got into this deep right now, haven't I? How am I going to get out of this? There are, there is an advantage to having notes. Uh, there are other women. <coughs> how about this? There are other young women like my wife that can be considered being an older woman to somebody twenty years younger than her. Does that make sense to you? Take advantage of that. Ask them, especially if they've lived their life. Somebody said, "Yeah, but you, you ought to see some of the problems that." That lady had, or, or her family has had. Well, that may be a that may be a, a good reason to go talk to her about help. There may be a way that she can teach you, and help you, and guide you, and give you some suggestions. It's going to be left up to you what you do with your life. But take advantage of the opportunities that we have to learn how to, to behave. I'm kind of got into this afternoon's lesson just a little bit, but. But you get the idea of what I'm talking about, about being a leader and being the kind of person that you need to be. Being a husband, being a guy. I promise you, men, you'll feel better about yourself. You'll feel better about your relationship. Your home will be a warmer place. Your wife will begin to walk all over herself to please you whenever we get back to the fundamental basic teaching of really loving our wives. Now, Let's go back to this Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let their wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. What did, he, what did Christ give himself up for for the church, you folks right here? Do you know that if you're a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, you've been baptized for the remission of your sins, you're different than people who have not been? You understand, does everybody understand that? Something has happened to us as God views us, and it should be the way we view ourselves and one another. Whenever we become obedient to Jesus Christ, we are sanctified. You know what sanctified means? It means to be set apart. Somebody said, I thought you said that's what holiness means. Well, it does. Because that's what sanctified is. That's what sanctification is. It's being made. And that's what, Je- what Jesus did for the church. Ephesians chapter 1. I believe verse 4 is the one I want. According as He hath chosen us. Who's the us here? It's the church. As He hath chosen us before Him, or in Him, excuse me, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, and without blame before Him in love. See, we're holy. 
We are a holy people. I mentioned that a while ago. Now, verse 26 again, that he might sanctify and cleanse, excuse me, verse 20, uh, 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it, that he might make it holy. So when you became a Christian, you became a part of his body, you were made holy. Now, when you look at your wives, husbands, when you look at your wives, do you look at your wife as a holy entity? You should, because that's just exactly what he's teaching here. She is holy. What's holy? Something that's set apart. That's our role. That's our responsibility. To treat them with the kind of respect and dignity that you would treat anything that's holy. Why in the world do we have the Old Testament that we study? I'll be honest with you. At home, I get tired sometimes of going through Old Testament studies. You know, we have a chapter in Leviticus. and What in the world does this have to do with me today? And I know sometimes that can be kind of boring and kind of get into a rut. But I'll tell you something right now. The better understanding we have of the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament law with all those cleansing rites and all those rituals that they had, it's very important to understand what holiness means to God. The holy place. The most holy place. The way it was looked at by God. The way men were to respect it. The laws that were given in regards to the way, uh, the way we live our lives. Back, or the way they lived their lives back then. About what to eat, what not to eat. The way men were to treat women. The way women were to look at men. All of those things make you a better person. It'll make you a person... That'll be more in harmony with God. It'll make you a happier person as well when it's obeyed and when it's followed. I went to the OU football game last evening. Thank goodness it was an early game at 6 o'clock. And uh, we were there a little early as always. One reason I always like to be early, we sat on the, right about the goal line on the north end, about 61 rows up. Is the national anthem when they start the game. I love it. I just love it. Whenever they're playing the national anthem, and you're standing there with your hat over your heart, hand over your heart, and unfortunately we're close to the student body, and I don't want to put students down, but not every one of them has that kind of respect. <laughs> but, and they're playing the national anthem. And I'm looking at three flagpoles on the opposite end of the field. And about halfway through that, through the anthem is the American flag as it starts creeping up a little higher and a little higher. And it reaches the top just as the song comes to an end. Boy, that means something to me. I don't know about you. I'm an old guy that was in the service. I learned to respect the American flag every morning when they put it up at 8 o'clock and every night at sundown when they took it down. Regardless where you was at, you turned, you faced it, you saluted, and you honored it. It was something special. It was something that's set aside. I have three flags in my home. It's in a case. One was my granddad's from World War II. One is my dad's from World War Excuse me, granddad's from World War I. My granddad's from World War II. And the third one is Margaret's stepbrother from Vietnam that was killed there in Vietnam. And those things mean something to me every time I walk by. And we honor that, don't we? 
you wouldn't think about taking them. We have a little place over at the lake. It's not much. We have a flagpole over there. We have a flag, have a light up on it, because you're supposed to do that, you see, to honor it. And uh, if you leave it up at night. I take that down once in a while because the string will get raveled. And it really bothers me if that thing slips and falls to the ground. Is that important in regards to our relationship to God? Probably not. But it means a lot to me. Why? Because we honor the flag. We honor it, you see. And that's the way we're to treat our wives. I used to think I knew everything there was to know about the New Testament. Then I studied with Michael and I learned something. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. And I appreciate this, Michael. You helped me a great deal on this. It took me a while to embrace it. But I think you're right. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. And we'll talk about the first part of 1 Peter chapter 3 this afternoon a little bit. But in verse 7 it says, Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Since I understood this from Michael and his teachings, uh, probably you have as well. The wife chooses to put herself, the Christian godly wife chooses to put herself in this position of being the weaker vessel, of being the person that is going to be in subjection to the husband. This whole context, this is what caught my attention, Mike, this whole context in chapter 2, chapter 3 and chapter 2, prior, prior to that, is about submission and being in subjection. Submission and being in subjection. And what does he say? He says, you husbands, you dwell with them according to this knowledge, understanding that they put themselves in that, in that place, in that position. And if I'm not doing this the way you, you really believe it, Michael, you can correct me later, but that's, that's why my understanding at this point. But you, you dwell with them with honor. You give honor to them. Because what happens if you don't? What happens if you don't? What's the last part of the, chat, of the verse? That your prayers be not hindered. Everybody is here because we want to have a good relationship with God. But do you know the way that we may take advantage of our headship or what we might call it? Our rudeness sometimes. Our arrogancy. Our eye rolling. Stop and think about what our words sound like. Stop and think about what our words are. Stop and think about the way... Listen to this. The way our words and our actions are perceived by our wife. My, grand, my grandson, and, and you know, and, and some, I, 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 y'all getting on to me, but don't you have a granddaughter? Doesn't he have a sister? Yes, I do. She's a sweetheart. She doesn't, she's not, she's just a little different yet. She hadn't got to the point where Rylan is. This four-year-old, he'll come crawl up in my lap sometime. And he's done this more than once. And he says, what's the matter, granddad? I said, nothing's the matter, right? What do you mean? He said, well, you sound like you was mad at Grandma. What did he pick? This kid's four years old. Now, I told you last week he's the smartest four-year-old in the country. I, you know, he is. But still, he's four years old, and he can pick up on that. You think Grandma can't? You think that doesn't hurt? See, husbands, be husbands. Be leaders. Love your wives. And understand the importance. Our time's up. I'll continue this study and with this chapter this afternoon. If you're here.
this morning. Uh, we've talked about the home. We've talked about the family. We've talked about the husband, his role, his responsibility, and accepting that. If we want to have a good home, it's got to start there. And we'll talk about what we can do if that's not, if that, he's not there, he's not in it. We'll talk about that more later on in our studies. But it's important to know that. And we've made the comparison. We haven't. The Holy Scriptures has made the comparison with Jesus Christ being the head of the church. Are you a part of the church? Listen. If you're not a part of the church, you're not a part of the body of Christ. You're not in a saved condition. You're not sanctified. God looks at you. He doesn't look at a holy entity. He looks at something that's unholy. Don't leave here this morning if you haven't become a Christian without becoming one. Let God wash away your sins through your acceptance of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, and your obedience to the gospel. If you have a need for prayer, if there's a need that any has, the church stands ready to assist you if you'll come while we stand and sing.